Okay, let's go ahead and do something just wildly radical and start at seven. (laughs) So, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the day, your faithfulness to each of us. We're grateful, Lord, that you promise your presence would be with us. And we thank you that you always keep your word. Open up your truth to us tonight, we pray. And in our study in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to start on the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Um, Reasonable divisions would be chapters 1 and 2, which deal with creation in um, not two separate accounts, but different, uh, somewhat different accounts. Chapters 1 and 2. 3 needs to be treated by itself. That's the fall. Um, and then there's further divisions in those in the next um, chapters to come. So <clears throat> how many of you have, let's say, recently or in preparation for tonight, read at least maybe the first couple chapters of Genesis? Okay, we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have seven Christians. Um, <laughs> so, um, well, <clears throat> we're, you know, there's always fewer, but we're the salt. We're the salt of the earth. So, um, I don't want to read, you know, both chapters, but there are... Um, We'll just, we'll just start, and let me kind of give um, an introduction here um, <clears throat> to these first two chapters. <clears throat> Genesis, of course, means origins. And if there's ever an understatement, this, this book, precisely the first two chapters, give us the origin of everything we know. I mean, time, space, air, life, sin. <laughs> if you take in three, there, there's everything that we know today. We're told of its origin in these first few chapters. Um, so I want to at least give some, maybe some points here. Um, the first thing the ground of creation. Now by ground, I mean um, what's the basis of creation. Maybe it'll come clearer what I mean by explaining it. Um, It's a free act of a sovereign God. It is uh, not based on any need or deficiency in God. Okay? Now, there, there are those, I've heard it all my life, people say um, that, you know, God needed fellowship. He, he wanted someone to fellowship with. Um, God has no needs 
whatsoever outside of himself. And one of the attributes of God that's not mentioned all the time, we think of the big ones. He's, om, he's om, um, omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. Um, he's immutable, which means he never changes. He's eternal. Um, but, but another one is he's, he is all-sufficient. He needs nothing outside of himself. We, of course, only know that God spent endless, beginningless eternity prior to creation with nobody but himself and the angels. Now, within the Godhead, you have the fellowship and the unity of the Trinity. So that's sufficient. So, um, what I'm saying is that in a very real sense, we aren't sure why God created all this. We can speculate, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it is, we don't know for sure why he chose to do it, but we do know that it could not have been to satisfy some need he had. Okay? Um, <clears throat> so the reason, if you want to call it that, for creation is in large part a mystery. I don't know why God did it. And then you add to that that God, um, God is prescient. When he, we say he's omniscient, we mean he knows everything. A division of omniscience is prescience, which means he knows everything in the future. So he, of course, had to know that in creating mankind, they would fall. He knew that he would send his son into the world to die because Jesus was, quote, slain from before the foundation of the world. Knowing all of that, to me, heightens the, the, the wonder, why, why did he do that? Now, I don't want to get off the subject, but Wesley did make, he took a stab at it and brought out how much, it's only to our benefit, but what we, not that sin was a good thing, but what we know about God as a result of sin, we would never have known the depth of his love that he would sacrifice his only son for us we would never known the fullness of his mercy, of his redemption. We wouldn't have known any of that. That still doesn't explain why God would endure that, but he did. Um, <clears throat> so, the second point is the creator himself, the agent of creation. Now, that's a critical point, too. What is the agent? Who is the agent of creation? Is it time? Is it evolution? Is it some kind of uh, physical laws that God may have set in place and let them come up with what we have today? Or do you have a personal, totally involved, meticulously detailed creator person 
who brought all of this about. God, obviously, is the creator in his trinity, okay? Now, if we look at, um, and by the way, when we look at some of the, in general, when you look at the Old Testament, but it includes here in Genesis, when we look at the Old Testament, we have the privilege of looking at it with the extra light of the New Testament. There are all kinds of truths that are, we could say, semi-hidden and maybe others more than semi-hidden, obscured in the Old Testament that are made clear in the New. By having both the Old and the New, we now, through the lens of the New Testament, can turn and look back into the Old Testament and see, aha, I see this, I see that, that maybe those then didn't see. I shouldn't say maybe, they didn't see. New Testament says that the Old Testament prophets did not always know what they were prophesying. And it said that they sought to look into the very things they were prophesying to see what they meant for the future. And the, the Greek word in the New Testament for looking into it is to, it, to like take a tablet or some writing or something, turn it towards the sun, hold it close and peer at it doing the best I can to try to figure out what is written here. That's the word that's used in the New Testament describing the Old Testament prophets who were not always clear what it was in the future they were preaching about. We have a huge advantage then, having the New Testament. We can turn and we can see things in the Old Testament, not manufacturing them, they're there but they're obscured until we have the light of the new. An illustration is in the first few verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's, we look back, and what do we, what's the first line of the Apostles' Creed? We'll see who knows that here. Anybody remember it? Say it louder. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Okay. That's the first line. And I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now, that's the first, that's the first line of the Apostles' Creed. But it's, it is so frequently used in all of Scripture as, as it were... Um, I have a little plastic laminated card in my wallet that no one's ever asked for, ever. But it authorizes me, it it's, it's authenticates that I'm a minister. It's a little, you know, um, microscopic, you can't hardly read it, but it's, you know, I am, I'm ordained by such and such a denomination and so forth, okay? If I were to need it, that's a credential I have. Well, the, what God always, very frequently, when God reached into his wallet and pulled out a card, it was, I made this whole thing. 
over and over and over, I made this. I made this. So, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. All right? So, in verse 1, we see the Father. And we also see, we don't see it unless we have the advantage of people who know the original language, but the word God here is Elohim. And Elohim is plural. Okay? It's it already in the fourth word. It's shrouded here. But we, looking through the lens of the New Testament, can see the, uh, the implication, inference, of the Trinity. Second verse. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. There's the Spirit. Then verse 3. Then God said. What's that? Again, looking through, through the light of the new, John, the, the introduction to John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And John continues on later, and also in Paul's writings, Without him, the word, nothing was made that was made. Through him, everything was made, which we'll look at in a second, which was the manner of creation. It was edict, fiat. He said it. So right here then, in the first three verses, looking at the unfolding of the New Testament, we can see the three persons of the Trinity in the very beginning of creation. Now, um, <clears throat> there's, let me throw this in here. There, the Hebrew word for create, interestingly, is only used for God. Or in association with God. Now, a lot of other places in the old and new, it'll say a person made something. I mean, you know, they made the ark. They made the temple. They made whatever. It doesn't use that. It doesn't use the Hebrew word that's only used in conjunction with God making something. So there's a, a peculiarity to what God creates and in verse 1, it's used, in the beginning, God created. Second time, I think it shows up, is, let me look here at 20, yes, 21. God created the great sea monsters. It, it shows up there, and then 27. God created man in his own image. So, regarding life-breathing animals, and the original statement, heavens and earth, and then humanity, is that Hebrew word that's only used when God's in the picture. <clears throat> now, um, 
Let's go to the time of creation. In the beginning. Okay. Which is when? I don't know. We don't know. Now, um, we obviously, we have no idea. Let me ask you this. Now, maybe... maybe um, when I was young, a little kid sometimes, I would um, sit around and imagine no beginning or no end. And if you try that, it's almost like your head will explode after a while. You know what I mean? It, it's a concept we can't get a hold of. Everything has a beginning. Everything has an end in our world. We can't comprehend. God has always been here. There's no time he got here. He's always been here. There's never been a time when he, of course, he created time when he created this world. He's always been here, and he always will be here. And think about eternity. There's no end. It's forever and ever and ever and ever. It just keeps going. There's no end, ever. The human mind can't grasp that and I think secondly because our minds even in eternity in glorified bodies will still be finite only God is infinite so even in eternity I'm not sure we'll be able to comprehend infinity never ending because we'll still have finiteness um about the only thing we can do is try to count backwards from where we are and from recorded events that are in the Bible and make stabs at trying to figure out about how long this world has been here from creation. Um, there are surprisingly quite a few different estimates and it's, it's interesting how maybe the first guy who comes along who really cooks up a big system that he thinks is right, it's the only one there is. And it's not a bad thing, but everyone kind of signs up for it. Well, this, this must be it. How many of you know intimately all about Bishop Usher? Okay. Nobody does. Okay. If you have... Some of the older, every, anybody ever here, anybody here ever heard of the Thompson Chain Reference Bible? Okay. All right. Now, I've got a couple of those, probably four of them, five of them, okay? Um, at least those, I can't remember, did they ever do it in, in something other than the King James Version? I don't think, I'm not sure if, anyway. Um, but the dates they will have dates um, sometimes with a question mark um, but they will have dates at a, lot, a huge number of the chapters every chapter in the Bible it will have estimated dates of when the events of that chapter took place Okay, that comes from a long research and lifetime of writing of this guy, English Anglican bishop, by the name of Usher. Um, and his 
uh, timeline kind of became standard. And so it's the point of reference that a lot of people still go by. But what he, what he did was try to estimate the, the length of a generation. Okay? You can't do that. Not when people were living to be 900 years old. But he, I mean, he tried. But so that's hard. Then when you get into the more closely regarded or recorded history and the genealogies that are recorded date-wise and time age-wise and the reigns of all the kings of Israel or whoever else, even kings of Egypt, whatever, you find that those are not nice and neat. They overlap. There were times when there wasn't a king. And there were times when there was a vice regent or just a prince and it wasn't counted. And so it's, I think we're safe to say it's impossible. Now, we're not 5,000 years off, but to have anything close to a set time, we just don't have. So there's anywhere from 1,800 to 2,000 to 2,500 years that people believe creation occurred prior to the flood. Okay? That's a big swing. That's 700 years. But that's about the closest that, that we can get. Once you get to the flood, and especially you get to Abraham, then dating gets obviously a whole lot easier. But it gets into the mists of mystery the further back that you go. Um, so anyway, we, we don't know. Roughly, we can say that we have been been here creation's been here anywhere from six to you know ten thousand years um there are some people and and let me say this i don't want anybody here to think in the next even tonight's lesson if i get into something or a week or so from now that i'm a heretic that i'm i'm going to the lake of fire um there are some different opinions about this kind of thing. The, the dating. There are some people that, I mean, you deviate one week from the earth being 6,000 years, 6, years old, you're going to hell. Um, you, can't, you can't do that. Um, well, then you don't believe in creation. Yeah, I do. Um, but we, some of these things, God didn't tell us. <laughs> yeah. We've only got about 40 more minutes, so I, th I think I'll skip that. <laughs> no, I want to get to that tonight. I want to get to it tonight. Yeah, it sure does. Um, the second verse massively figures in to dating. Yet, I don't, we can't answer it. Um, so, anyway. Um, the manner of creation, we'd say two things. Um, there's a word that is pronounced several different way, ways, ex nihilo or nihilo. It just means out of nothing. Now, that can even 
somewhat reflect back on verse 2. Some people say, well, the materials were already there, and so God just kind of, you know, the, the Play-Doh was already on the table, and so he, wait a minute, he created out of nothing. Nothing. Um, so then that even brings up verse 2 further as, how do we answer that? What, what is that? Okay. Um, the second thing is, that God um, created by, we, we call it fiat. The, the, he just spoke it. And we find uh, here uh, in the creation account, frequently this phrase, let there be. He just spoke it. This is why Hebrews, the Hebrews, the Jews especially, and it's correct, course for us to agree the the words of God were were his acts when he said it it was done Psalm 33 for instance says that he created all the hosts or the armies of heaven by the way any of you seen any of these pictures of this new um, what's the name of that that it's not the Hubble telescope it's it's the new who whose is it yeah, yes, James Webb, okay. Those are just unbelievable pictures of the, the formations of the stars and, and, you know, sound like Carl Sagan, but, you know, the billions and billions that are out there. And I love Genesis 1. He made the sun to rule the day, made the moon to rule the night, and there's a semicolon or whatever. And it's almost... <laughs> An oh yeah, uh, he made stars also. Go look at those pictures and then read, he made the stars also. And a second one, he calleth them all by their names. And look at some of those pictures and you just, it'll be almost like Job, he said, when God spoke to him, he says, I lay my hand on my mouth. I haven't got anything to say. And then, we worried if that God's forgotten us. <laughs> He's lost her address. Um, so, um, out of nothing and by just saying it. Um, it appears, I don't know this for sure, but the words are used, this, the word formed shows up a couple times, but Regarding Adam and Eve, he formed man. It says out of the dust of the ground. It implies a, um, a hands-on, if you want to use it, creation with the humans. Um, that the rest were, was just spoken. Um, and then we also get, maybe here's one, where... Um, no, I better not get into that yet. I'll get ahead of myself. Um, <clears throat> let's, let's go to the, um, after the manner of creation, a lingering question we'll look at in a minute. How do we, how do we count or how do we read the words uh, or the word day? Evening and the morning were the first day, second day, so forth. Okay. Um, 
I think our approach to Scripture always has to be, well, here's kind of a a homespun little description of a seminary professor. Um, Dr. Weshi taught uh, English Bible. Um, He just put it this way. When Bible sense makes common sense, seek no other sense. In other words, don't try to put some quirky twist on it or get into numerology and all. God's generally. There are clearly obscure passages. Peter said there's Paul wrote stuff I can't figure out. But generally, we know God's plain spoken. Wesley said it's a plain book written to plain people. So if God, specifically, if he used the word day and hadn't have used evening and morning, then the word day could be a little slippery as far as, because it clearly, in, in the Hebrew, the same word can mean an epoch, um, an era, a time. We can say, back in the day, well, we didn't mean Saturday. We mean a, a period of time, of culture, of certain norms that aren't in play anymore. So we even use the word day in a lot of different ways. Um, but once we take, which I do, once we, we hear God say, um, the evening and the morning were the first day, second day, third day, there was, no, there was no sun yet. Now I know there was light, but there, there was no sun or moon or stars. So you start, you, you wonder, well, okay, how did you have a 24-hour day if there weren't any of the heavenly bodies yet? Um, none of these questions that we can wonder about have anything to do with the bedrock that he, God created the world out of by fiat, okay? Um, chapter 2 has some the well I'm getting ahead of myself there too so hang on a minute <clears throat> um, anyway if we look at um, then the final capstone one thing we can see in creation is from day one to day six everything is in preparation for man that's his crowning we are his crowning creation made in his image and his likeness okay so you, there's order to it. You do. You have. You have the formlessness in two, verse two. But then you have light. Then you have the separation of darkness and light, day and night. You have the separation of the water above the the it, the firmament. It just means expanse, the expanse of sky, water above it from water below it and then the earth and the seas separated the water seas the rest earth Um, then you have plants trees Um, 
By the way, a little thing. You know that we see it over and over and over in this. It, it, says, it just says it many times. Seed-bearing plants um, whose seed is in them after his kind or its kind when it talks about the animals. All of that really is sufficient right there to blow away the notion of evolution of um, aberrant forms of mutations because God everything he made had its future and of course we didn't know it then God did but the just awesome idea of the the blueprint in the genetic codes uh, in the seeds and all that of the future that God made and the idea you know the idea then and we know all that now I guess I'd say this one of the huge things that God um, is a fundamental principle of all of God's revelation is a progressive revelation he unfolds the light gets brighter the truth gets clearer it's, be, it, it's more and more and more redundant in the right sense of the term to where less and less excuse is available for not knowing it and not following it. So that, and, and that progressive revelation with the human race and the world is a, it's a macro pattern of the micro pattern of you, you and I. We come into this world and we don't have a lot of light. We have innocency. We reach the age of accountability. We fall away. Um, we turn to our own way. And God gets, begins to give us light. It's dim at first. It's little. But as we, the longer we stay in this world, the more light God gives to us. And the less and less we have an excuse for not walking in it. And so... Um, even in the physical creation, God's aiming towards a capstone creation, which was let us, let us, that verse, let us make man in our image. There's that plurality, the Trinity again. That image included two things. One, we have what we call, what's called in theology, we have a natural image of God. And then we have a moral image of God. The natural image of God is primarily in, I think we can narrow it down to three faculties, okay? There is reason, there's what's called affections, a, letter A, affections, which means desires, feelings, emotions, so forth. And then there is will or volition, the power to choose. Now, what does natural image mean? It means that God, too, is a reasoning, feeling, willing, choosing, acting, uh, volitional being. So are we. 
Okay? Now, the moral image is really the, the moral condition of those faculties. Okay? The moral condition of my will and reasoning power and uh, affections. God created Adam and Eve with a natural image, but also his moral image, meaning their use of their reason, of their choice, and so forth, was inclined to righteousness. It, they were holy. Now, they had the capacity, and we know from chapter 3, that they exercised the capacity of reason, and feelings and will to disobey God. Okay? Now, they lost the moral image of God in the sense of they were no longer holy. In, that, in the place of that, they became depraved. Okay? But the natural image, reason, affections, will, remains it is fallen it is infected that's why it doesn't work very well but God still appeals to it he reasons with us because we retain our ability to reason on our own we can't reason but God gives us prevenient grace so that even fallen he says come now and let us reason together so he can, he re, we can still reason. Somewhat cloudy, but we can still reason. We still feel, and we still know how to judge whether those feelings are right or wrong, the things we're attracted to. And then we retain a free will. God treats us everywhere in Scripture as people who have the power to choose. We never lost that. It was broken and marred and infected and warped but it's not gone, like the moral image is. Does that make any sense? What God wants to do in redemption is restore fully the moral image. And that moral image of righteousness, inclination, no longer inclination to evil, but an inclination to righteousness, then works with a still, in some ways, broken, scarred, weakened, natural image of reason, choosing, affections. But there's grace to operate even in that fallen condition. But fallen doesn't mean sinful. Okay? Um, we're beat up, we're scarred up, but, but that's not sin. That's the consequences and results of sin, but God can remove sin, okay? So it's important that we understand the difference between what we had in God's image and likeness and what we lost and what we retained. Okay, um, <clears throat> Let's see here. Um, let's go ahead and 
maybe before. So one doctrine that we know about, we, we get a little insight into the doctrine of God to start off with. Not only the Trinity, but God's, you know, his, uh, he's all wise, infinite knowledge, infinite power, so forth. He can do all this, okay? So we learn quickly some things about God himself and the attributes of God. We also learn about not just his attributes, but his moral, he's holy, he's righteous, because what's he say all the time through this? This is good, this is good, this is good. God has a judgment about good and evil, okay? Um, so we learn that. We learn about man. We learn how we got here. We learn that we are made of flesh and earth, but we also have the breath of God within us. And that breath of God is eternal. So we have an immortal spirit. Our bodies were not meant to die and wouldn't have if we had maintained access to the tree of life. That was cut off when they disobeyed God. And they didn't drop dead that moment. That was due to grace to preserve us, give us a chance to repent. But when he told Adam and Eve, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day, you know, you'll die. <clears throat> he said, dying, you will die. So there's two deaths that occurred there, but I'm getting ahead of the three, so I've got to quit. Um, at any rate, so we learn about the doctrine of man and the origin of man and what, what we're like um, in just these first two chapters. Um, <clears throat> let's go back then to 1, 2. <clears throat> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Okay. Anybody want to venture an explanation for what, what is that? And, and let me say this before we, no one will be ridiculed. There's nothing, well, I shouldn't say there's nothing stupid because there might be, but but really there isn't. Um, <clears throat> within reason, we all can, we don't know to some degree. Yeah. It seems to me that that stuff was already there. There was never a day he said, I'm going to make water today. You know, water, he never said, let there be water. His water was already there. He just gathered it and dried <clears> it here. So uh, to me, it seems like that was the, the stuff was already there. And, you know, in Greek, the word for heaven is... Expanse. I mean, just... Yeah, yeah, it's everything. It's all, it's all there. So, you know, uh, to me, you know, he, he formed it, but didn't create the earth on that day. That's one possibility. But he created the materials, but didn't, course, didn't but form he, them until later. Yeah, because the story okay. is about the earth. Because the first yeah. thing is now the earth. Blah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. So the story is not a creation of everything. I thought what you said, too. I, I thought that, too, about Yeah. It's not the point of the story. That which reminds me of one thing. Really, chapter one starts out with the big picture God created the heavens and the earth. And then it pretty much, 
doesn't ignore heavens, but it zeroes in on the earth. And then after chapter 1, chapter 2 zeroes in, touches again on the earth, but zeroes in on mankind. So, you know, the, the, the scope is narrowed in, in both of those chapters. Okay, how many of you have ever heard, even if you can't explain it, but you just think you might have heard of it, um, something called the gap theory? Okay, we got one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, now the problem is I'm going to have to explain it. Um, <clears throat> well, I think there's a couple different variations of the gap theory, but the idea is <clears throat> that, that the earth had some, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and that it had some recognizable form or something. But the intervening episode of the uh, fall in heaven of Satan and the angels and them being cast out of heaven. And Revelation is a possible hint. Um, the dragon, it says, cast out of heaven, drew a third of the stars with him and so forth. That a third of the angels participated in that rebellion and they were cast down to earth and that reduced whatever the earth that he in the beginning had made was voided. And so, technically, um, the people who subscribe to that theory as an explanation for this seeming, he made the earth, but it, was, it had no form, it was void, meaning it was empty. Um, it almost sounds like it's backtracking. You understand what I mean? If you just look at it on the surface. Made heaven and earth, but it was nothing. It was... To try to explain that, then, is the gap theory. That technically, then, I guess you'd say there was sort of a recreation. Picked up the rubble and re... I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I don't uh, know... I, I probably would say I don't know that I subscribe to the gap theory. I don't know what you do with the fact if, if the angels, if Satan and the angels were cast to earth um, and somehow it was destroyed, because you know, it says there were war in heaven and so forth. Um, I don't know. It just, it wouldn't seem like God, um, he'd have to fumigate the place <laughs> um, and start over. I don't know. It's a, it's, I've heard it all my life. I've never really heard anybody who totally believed it. Um, but it's a murky kind of thing to me, and I don't mind if anybody else has heard it and can give another viewpoint on it. Uh, that's fine with me. But there, there are those who try to explain that. And here's another option. We don't have to explain it. I mean, that's not a bad option. Um, that it's just God describing um, how he did things. I don't have to um, 
And the world thinks this is a foolish approach because, you know, I don't believe anything I can't understand. Well, that's nonsense. Nobody understands 99% of the whole world and the flaws of physics and electricity and everything else, but you still plug your toaster in and you don't say, I can't understand electricity, so I'm not eating toast today. Um, that's absurd. The world's always saying stuff like that. Um, but it's not a bad idea. They're, they're, here's what we deal with. I don't question God built into us. Maybe a poor word is curiosity or inquisitiveness. He built that into us. He made us like that. That's, and, and I believe he intended for all of that to help us in all we were to do. Subdue the earth and rule over it and tend the ground, till the ground, take care of the garden that he put them in. Um, and the all inventions and all that um, come from God, I believe. The wisdom that he gives us. Um, so, though he gave us, we always want to, even fallen, we want to know what's over the next hill. You know, uh, we want to, the earth is flat. Uh, Magellan says, I'm going to try it. You know, I'm going all the way around. If I fall off the edge, I fall off the edge. But I want to see if maybe it's, maybe it's around. God put that in us. But that very impulse has to be um, controlled. And I think we can allow ourselves to feel that every little nook and cranny of what God does, we got to figure out why and how. And David said, Psalm 131, I don't behave, he says, I behave myself like a weaned child. I don't run after things too high for me. There's sometimes when the best thing to do is give it our best, try to think it through, but when we see that God just flat hasn't told us the reason, so what? <laughs> he's, he's still God. <laughs> There's, um, well, let's put it this way. The vast, vast, vast majority of people are, are not fulfilling and following and obeying and living up to what they already do know now. I don't need to pay attention to pursuing what I don't know. We got enough that we do know that we need to pay attention to do that we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, so many people need to explain everything to, to get some kind of a peace. Yeah, you yeah. Know, but yet, it used to be popular to say God knows. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a, it's a crutch almost or a prop to faith rather than just saying God knows. One of the, there's, there's a couple places, three or four, <clears throat> two I can think of. One, Ezekiel. Two is St. John in Revelation. But Ezekiel was asked about the dry bones. Can these dry bones live? And um, it seems like in Revelation, John was asked something about who are these saints or whatever. Both times they say the same thing. King James puts it, O Lord, thou knowest. And I, I heard, I read kind of a sermon devotional on the, that little word, that, those little statements. O Lord, thou knowest. Is, that is the absolute 
crystallized epitome of man's proper place before God. I don't know, Lord, but you do. So I'll rely on you. And in the end, if you want to tell me, okay. <laughs> if you don't, what difference does it make? Um, so I am not ever in favor of not being inquisitive. But there's a difference, of course. Well, here's two quick examples. Zacharias was inquisitive. The angel Gabriel said, you're going to have a son. He knew he was too old. He knew his wife was too old, and he didn't believe it. So he said, well, how will this be? That's an inquisitiveness that's based on unbelief. When the same angel Gabriel went to Mary and said, you're going to have uh, a son, she said the same, how will this be? I don't have a husband. Hers, though, was an asking of faith, not, well, how's this going to It was, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't have a husband. Um, and so what did God do? He explained it to some degree to her um, because she believed. So it's the, it's the attitude with which we ask the question. And then um, one of Richard Taylor's books, he talked about in every one of our lives, in many times in our lives, with innumerable kinds of situations. It's not wrong to pray and seek and read the scripture and maybe in life situations seek an answer. But when we seem to hit a dead end, then his, he put it this way, draw a curtain across it, quit pushing the issue, and leave it with God. Because we can get to where we get uh, we go, we cross a line and get kind of agitated and, and there's things that, that God isn't obligated to tell us. You know? So, anyway, <clears throat> that's some stab at that second verse that I just completely, I don't completely understand it. Okay, if we yeah. If understood it all and had all the answers, <clears throat> that would make us God. Yeah, and we wouldn't need God. And, and, he, God's smart enough to know even when we are walking with Him and we love Him with all of our hearts, He knows that we still have frailties, especially fallen now. We have frailties, vulnerabilities, and He, he knows if He gave us such a meticulous manual that we could kind of read it and follow it and get through each day, we don't need Him. And the dependence on, dear God in heaven, I don't know what to do, <laughs> won't be there. So if he knows we're, we're, um, how we would behave if we knew everything, so therefore he withholds things from us, that's fine. Because he's doing it for our good. Okay. Um, <clears throat> This is stunning, but we didn't get quite as far as I wanted to, to get. Um, we'll just pick up. Well, wait a minute. You're you're on. Um, we'll visit about what to do, so you don't have to 
pick up this mangled kind of halfway through deal. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm going to be gone next Wednesday, but we'll, Phil's going to um, fill in for me. Um, and <clears throat> I am not, I'm not, you know, applying for other jobs. I'm, I'm flying back to Indiana. Um, and I hate flying nowadays so bad. I piled up an, uh, um, enough miles um, with United that I traded them all in so I could fly first class, okay, and, not, and be left alone. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to talk to anybody. I, I, and my left ear has poor hearing, so I'm going to arrange to sit next to somebody on this side so I don't have to talk to them. Um, and anyway, um, so... I'm going to go back to Indiana because it's been, what, 24 years probably since I've been to a Creek reunion. My mother's maiden name was Creek. Um, the blessing is th none of the parents are left, aunts and uncles, but it's all, there's a bunch of first cousin, cousins. This is really unusual. I didn't have anything to do with it. It's just God. Every single one of this bunch of first cousins, I don't know how many there are of us, are, are Christians. Um, that's, a, that's a blessing. I've pastored people who literally had to call the cops most family reunions. I'm not making that up. They'd have to call the cops because they'd get in drunken fights. Um, but I haven't been to one of these for, I think, 24 years. So everybody's getting... I'm on the younger end of the cousins. Everybody's getting a little aged. We've already had a couple die and some getting dementia and all that. So I've just kind of felt prompted uh, to go, finally go to one um, and, you know, see everybody before they go away. <laughs> okay. I know I'll be here. What did you say? I say well, still vertical. Yes. You know, and this is, it's hard to transition here, but um, many of you may already know, um, but uh, Martha Reimer passed away. Um, and I think it was, what was it? Sunday night. Okay. Um, without any of us talking to each other, it's amazing the number of different people that felt in the last week to two weeks prompted, Lord, just take the dear soul. I, I, Martha loved Jesus like few people did. And I'd visit with her, and she was getting very forgetful, but also really Satan bombarding her. You amount to nothing. You're sick. You can't do anything. You can't go to church. You can't do the stuff you always did. And Martha Reimer has taught more Sunday school and VBS and baked more rolls and you just don't find people like her. Um, and now she sits, or was, she's sitting in a chair, can hardly get up, pain, and, you know, would say to me, I, I don't know what, why I'm here. Um, and I just, felt prompted, and I know a lot of other people did, to pray, take the dear soul. And she just very, fairly suddenly and, and quietly just breathed her last Sunday evening.
um, the funeral, which will be a memorial for both Carl, because when Carl passed away, what's it been, uh, 18 months ago? Uh, Martha was really not in any shape to even have a memorial. So we're going to have a joint memorial for both of them here at the church this coming Monday, um, and it's at 1 o'clock. There'll just be a time of fellowship and just um, finger food and stuff afterwards. But this coming Monday at 1, okay? All right, well, it's 8 o'clock. Kids don't get off a couple of minutes, but we can go ahead. Any questions, comments, thoughts um, that anybody's got? I don't know how much we solved, but I think we'll look over chapter 2 a bit because it goes into more details um, that I think we need to look at. Um, and you know, a bedrock principle that we get out of chapter 2 is he made them male and female. Okay? Now here's, here's a little theory I've got real quick. We have run out of moral rules to break as a culture. We have thrown everything, the Ten Commandments, any commandment about decency, we've thrown it behind us. We've run out of moral rules to break. Now we're going after basic biology that God put into place. Um, we're nuts. But that is the level of, of just a... a a moral insanity, fiendish, charging at God's Gibraltar of his laws will wear ourselves out like Saul <laughs> did on the road to Damascus. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. You're just tearing your own leg up. But that's the, that is the level to which we've gone today. Um, anyway, so let's, we'll finish up chapter 2 um, they move on to chapter 3 which needs to be treated on on its own it's the darkest chapter too bad the whole there's God didn't write the chapters but there's about 1800 2000 chapters in the whole Bible only two of them are good <laughs> I mean chapter 3 and that's really the story of the rest of the world so okay well, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we'll never plumb the depths of your word. And I think, Lord, we don't know what you haven't said. Even the few things you have told us, we'll never fully understand them. But I thank you, Lord, that you've written them to us, and we do have enough that we can and do understand that we're accountable to trust you and to obey you and to walk in the light you give us. So I'm grateful, Lord, that we can know you're God, and you made heaven and earth, and there is nothing too hard for you. And, Lord, You've been around before the Democrats and Biden and all the other Putin and all the other people that we fret over, worry about. You've been here quite a while, and you're still here, and you're still going to be here. So I pray that you would help us keep our eyes really fixed on you and off of the wind and the waves and the storms that are around us. Go with us. 
Keep us safe, I ask. In Christ's name, amen.